Many people don't get what they want from what they do. Not from their jobs, sometimes not their families, the government, their religion, and most importantly, not themselves. In our culture, something's missing. Part of what is missing is purpose, values, worthwhile standards against which our lives can be measured. The unexamined life is not worth living, and that was said by Socrates about 2,000 years ago. I think it's correct. If you don't examine your life, you most likely will scramble about seeking distraction in media, people's approval, drugs, shallow things. The thing that drives me to do this show and much of what I do is to try and influence people to start believing themselves by firstly starting to think for themselves. I want to learn from people who seem to be on a similar path of self-discovery in business, leadership, relationships, education, mental health and physical health and more. If we can really start to take our life seriously, I mean like as if we're not coming back, as if this is all we're guaranteed of in this life, then we really start listening and really want to examine what life is all about. I had $20 to my name. Wow. So I was in France. I'd had a couple thousand dollars worth of credit card debt because that's how I was living. And I had literally 20 bucks. You're listening to the Examine Life podcast with Matt Purcell. 2018 has been an amazing year for family. I just had my second daughter not long ago. Her name is River. I can't wait to have Christmas with her for the first time. For my businesses, things have been fantastic, been managing that well and seeing lots of growth. And this podcast has been surprisingly, overwhelmingly amazing. The feedback I've been getting from thousands of people, the caliber of guests that have been saying yes to coming on the show, and the caliber of guests coming on the show in 2019, it's just shocking me because there's still something inside me that sometimes says, Really? You said yes? Really? Wow, this is incredible. I'm having so much fun and learning so much uh, personally from my guests on the show. And why I do this podcast and why I do so much of my jobs is to let people know that there is hope. That even if the boy from South Korea who was adopted, born on the bar floor, can live his dreams, who was dealt some interesting cards at the beginning of his life from being orphaned to being adopted from having his family separate, being bullied. If I can go and live my dreams and choose to use the cards the best I can, then why can't you? No matter where you're born in the world, no matter what cards you've been dealt, you still have a choice to see how you're going to use them, what game are you playing. One of the first names that come to mind when I think of Australian successful business owners is Janine Alice. Janine Alice is the founder of Boost Juice Bars and the co-founder of Retail Zoo. With over 7,000 employees, 540 stores worldwide, and turning over $2 billion in revenue, Janine is an Australian queen of business. I dig into her story. How does she do what she does with a family, with a husband, with four kids? What's her mindset like toward business and life? How does she overcome her challenges? I dig into her story and figure so much out, and you're going to get so much inspiration and information that will transform your life. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Janine Alice. Janine, thanks for joining us. No, pleasure. Well, Janine, I'd love to get back into um, your story a little bit because I really sense, based on the work I do, there is an audience out there that look at successful people like yourself and they miss the context and the story and the hard work and experiences that go into achieving and maintaining success in any level. And um, I'd love to... Like, go back to your childhood. So, like, where were you born? 
what was your relationship like with your mum and dad? So like, yeah, no, I was sixty child, and uh, yeah, and sixties was a really interesting time mm-hmm. in in the world, not just Australia. Yeah, it was a time when the Vietnam War was around. The the pill was invented. Apparently, wow. all the doctor, Catholic doctors didn't want to actually supply it to women because they thought it would become promiscuous. Wow. Apparently, apparently, um, the men were very disappointed that wasn't the case. Uh, so, yeah, damn it, damn it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was born in that era, but despite the fact that I was born in an era of change and of people going, "It's enough. We want to make we want to make a difference." Mm. Uh, I was raised by a woman who was a woman of the fifties, mm. and you know, the fifties housewife was very much, you know. You'd stay at home, you'd be the supporter. In actual fact, in May 1955, the local paper did a 10 tips for women to be the best housewife they could possibly be. Wow, that's that's the goal, guys. Oh, yeah, girls. And look, if you want to Google it, it's called the, I think, the Good Housewife Guide, May 1955, right? <laughs> and the final line on it said, wow. um, a good housewife knows her place. No. And her role is to support her husband. Okay, let's let, imagine if we posted that on Facebook today. Oh, I'd be a ripper. A good one. A good it would one. get lots of clicks. It would. It mm. would get, I'll get viral, I reckon, and mm. they'd find out where you live and you wouldn't have a home anymore. No, absolutely. So, yeah, so that was my upbringing. So I um, was brought up to be the supporter. I went to a tech school, which tech schools back then were designed to create trades. Mm. Uh, so I can, you know, woodwork and sheet metal was our subjects that we did, not necessarily, you know, geography, history or, or English. Mm. So it was very much an era of, you know, no one I knew had a business. No one I knew went to university even. I mean, the school only went to year 11, so we never even did a year 12 because year 11, you know, you're meant to go out and work. So pretty much at 16, I was finished school as far as my school went and then I was finding myself a job in the 80s in, in advertising and administration. Great. So did you did you have that mindset but of I have to be, my destiny is a housewife? No, look, I think I was... Um I think I was I was the youngest of four children, mm. and I think by the time Mum got to raise me, she was sort of over it, and so I sort of kind of you know and no, she's a great woman, mate. Yeah, she's an yeah, amazing yeah. woman. But she, but I was very much in the sense um, left to my own devices in the sense of that we are. I was never, you know, in, I was never shown anything. Like I was never even where, even when I got my period, I didn't even know what to do. It was like sort it all out, just work it all out, right? Oh, wow, so yeah. yeah, it was there was never any you know, didn't never the conversation about what you do about sex, nothing about anything. It was just like off you go, <laughs> here's your dinner. Um, you know, he, he, so so for me in some respects, it enabled me to have no boundaries on what I could do because no one had set any boundaries. No yeah, one had yeah. actually said you can't do this or can do this. It mm. was just like work it out yourself, honey. And and I, in some respects, I remember thinking that, you know, God, because you, you get up to all sorts of mischief as a, a young teenager. Yeah. And I used to think, God, my mum's, my mum and dad's head is just in the sand. And now that I've got children that are uh, went through their teenagers, I think there's a there's merit yeah. in putting your head in the sand and pretending nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, look, it was, it was, it was good. It was, I, you know, my life was about netball, you know, it was about really sporty and, yeah. you know, very competitive and, and just wanted to be the best netballer I could be. Yeah. But really my desire was to travel. And so it was mm. 21 that I put a backpack on my back and headed overseas for a few years. Where'd you go for your first trip? Uh, well, I told my mum I was leaving for three months uh, to do Camp America. Camp America? Uh, yeah, I did so Camp America back, back in the day. What was your role in Camp America? Uh, well, I was camp counsellor. No for way. The, for the girl, for San Francisco Girl Scouts. 
Well, so, was it, did you get to camp? Like, was there many episodes? Was it a memorable trip? Yeah, to... look, it was fun, you know, because I've, I've always had a very uh, sheltered life. Mm. And, you know, it was pretty much, you know, netball and going to school and, you know, doing what you're doing. Suddenly I'm in San Francisco when they're all lesbians, which, yeah. was, which was fine in mind, but yeah. never, never met a lesbian before. Yeah, there you apparently. go. Apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, and you've got to remember back then, I hadn't even met a person that had any other colour than white. You know, wow. it was, it was very much. It was a new suburb, but it was very, very Anglo, mm-hmm. and so I was very sheltered. And so to to go into America and suddenly you know be surrounded by all different nationalities, and not only that, I dealt with children who had a lot of disabilities. So it was mm. you know the blind kids, I had deaf kids, I had you know all sorts of different um, challenges I had to deal with, which was great for a, a young twenty-one year old. Yeah. But um, I actually did tell my mum I was coming, for, going for three months, and I came back seven years later. <laughs> so for me, it was that adventure of, you know, discovering my world or the world. Yeah, wow. So you would have come back completely different. Well, I came back as a single mum. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. so I, um, you know, during that journey, you know, met a man and um, liked the man, but he wasn't my man for the future. Mm. And yeah, so at 27 years old, came back with a two-year-old in my hand to Australia. Wow. Like, hey, mum, it's been a while. I know, look what I've got. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Some uh, people bring back souvenirs. I bring back a little boy. <laughs> wow, that, that's, that's, wow, that's so interesting. Were you like a stewardess on David Bowie's yacht? Yeah, look, you know, as you go through the, the level of travel, you do, you find yourself all sorts of places. <laughs> so I found myself literally broke in the south of France. Wow. And, like um, broke I, meaning like... I had $20 to my name. Wow. So I was in France, $20 to my name. And you got to remember back then there was no mobile phones, there was no internet, there was no nothing, right? Wow. There was nothing. And so I was, um, I'd cash my ticket home because that's what you do mm-hmm. when you're 21 and you're smart. Um, I, um, I'd had a couple thousand dollars worth of credit card debt because that's how I was living and I had literally 20 bucks and I remember going to the supermarket going, right, what can I buy that can last me for a period of time? Like, you know, do I buy the apple or do I buy the bread or do I buy the pot? Like, what do I buy? And, and then, um, yeah, so then sort of went, okay, well, I need to get myself a job. So found out that you go to the local Harry's Bar, it was called, mm-hmm. and you went to Harry's Bar and met a couple of engineers and they said, oh, yeah, look, the season's starting and there's a job on a boat called Dead Imp Star in Villeneuve-Le Bay. So I got on a train and went to Villeneuve-Le Bay and, mm-hmm. and um, talked my way into a boat and then six weeks later, David Bowie bought it. Oh. So, yeah, for the next two years, got to hang out with rock stars and movie stars. And what was that experience like? Look, it was good. You know, he was, what it taught me, actually, the best lessons it taught me was people are people. Because mm. people mm. just assume that, you know, if you're a rock star or a movie star, you're subhuman. You're, yeah, you're, you're immune to problems and... Uh, yeah, to, exactly. Yeah. Problems and divorces and unhappiness. You yes. must be happy all the time. You're rich. You're famous. You must be happy. Yeah, you're not allowed to be sad or stressed. No, yeah. because you're rich. You're, you're privileged. You're the privileged few. And mm. so... And I was brought up, you know, my mum loved, and my, my house was full of movie books. Mum loved the movie stars. Yeah, she loved that. So, you know, I definitely thought there was humans and then there was the, the celebrities. Mm. And so to find, to live with them 24-7 and know that they're fault flawed, they, they're happy, they're sad, they have the same challenges and fears as everyone else. You know, like when I met Bowie, I think he was 42 at the time. And, you know, it was only something like seven years earlier that he was completely broke. And he got ripped off by his manager and he had to build it all up again to to have financial freedom. And obviously he was fine, you know, right to the end. But, Mm. you know, you sort of go, oh, my God, that's right. I thought that 
you because you're famous you you're loaded because you're famous you're happy and because you're famous life is easier for you yes and yes. so what I what that taught me when I came into business was that I was no more or less than someone it didn't matter that I had and a um, what education I had it didn't matter what experiences I had I was there for a purpose mm. so it never re- so I never really got to a point where I went Okay, I'm not. I'm not worthy enough to be in this room. Mm. I was actually in the reverse. I was going, "What can you do for me? What do you know that I don't know that I can get that knowledge off you mm. to then I so I can know it." That's really important. Yeah. So you didn't have this inferior complex in your mind that I'm I'm less than you. So oh, you're grovelling at people and correct. Just, yeah. Yeah, and I was also naive too. Mm. So I had I when in actual fact, the two things that made Boo successful is naivety. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I couldn't do. So I just did it. So it was like curio- like you're curious as well to figure it out, or no? Yeah, well, you have to. Mm. You're so fun. once you're in, once you've sold your family home, once you've you've got more debt than you can't pay off in five lifetimes, mate, you're in. Yeah. You've got to work it out. Yeah, and you've got to you know, swim hard. Yeah. yeah, and so that was the fear part. The fear part, I was going to lose everything. You know, mm. so and not and fear that I wasn't good enough, and feel that fear that I I wouldn't know the answer. So I just you know, it's a bit like not that I compare myself to Einstein, but what I do compare myself to is that tenacity to don't give up. Because what he said was, I'm not smarter than anyone else. I just stay at problems longer. Mm. And that's my philosophy. It was like I never gave up. Until yep. someone went, no, I would still continue to bother them until they said no. Mm. If you paused your story just at the the part where you're broke in France, and like if you just paused the movie, you'd be like, oh, Frodo's about to die. You wouldn't expect the ending to be like if this was like your current, looking at your current status right now. It's like, well, as if she's going to end up. Yeah. Where she is. Well, you know, I was you know, 27 living back at my parents as a single mum. <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, so you, and you just, but you, but that's why in some mm. respect, you know, people watching this is your only barriers are the ones you create yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, seriously. The story that you make up. And that's you, right. Yeah. If you really want something, if you actually really, really want something, you can have it. Mm. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Always. Always. Yeah. Wow. So when you got, so let's go from when you came home with, with a baby boy, and you're like, "Hey, mum, <laughs> I've seen you for a while." What did you do then? What, what was what was your thinking like? You have responsibilities. Yeah, well, that's yeah. right. So suddenly, I was this selfish, as you were, um, young girl who suddenly had a responsibility that was life changing, which is a child. Mm. Well, and the so what I did was I actually met a man called David Putnam in who was in. Um, he was. I met him in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. He was a friend of David Bowie's. He was a guy who produced Midnight Express in the Killing Fields. Yep. Okay. Right. You know, great producer. And if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. They're great movies. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, we became friends. And he said, if I ever go back to Australia, let me know because he's a director of a business called Village Roadshow. Okay. And so I met with Graham Burke, the CEO, and he gave me a job as a manager. Actually, I think as a favour to David, uh, but he gave me a job as a manager of one of the cinemas. And, wow. f- and basically from there, I just, you know, blossomed and, and um, grew. And it was from there, I went to Singapore and ran their office in Singapore. Wow. And eventually then came back to uh, Melbourne and was a publicist, got a job as a publicist, through, again, through my contacts through the movie industry. Mm-hmm. And that was through then I met my husband. My now husband. Jeff, his his name's Jeff, right? Yeah. And you guys work together now on together with the businesses yeah yeah so he's um he's him and him and i are very different we're we're juxtaposed um we have yeah we have very much respect for each other but we are very very different yeah so yeah he's a um 
so he he him him he did the certainly a lot of the marketing with Boost and all the leasing, and then I sort of basically put the puzzle together. Yeah, yeah, structure and stuff like that. Yeah, wow, that's that's amazing. So, like, <laughs> so in the space of from twenty seven to like what what would you say in a few years? Like, oh yeah, so I was I met Jeff, I met and married Jeff. I met Jeff when I was twenty nine, mm. um, and I married him when I was twenty nine. Wow. So basically, in um, we met and married in eight months. We were I was pregnant with our first child, uh, our first child together in twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, he was leaving with me after six weeks. You just knew. Yeah. Wow. Well, good on you. Yeah, you just knew. School. Yeah. I don't know about you when you met your wife, but I was fourteen. Fourteen. High school sweetheart. Oh, nice. It's a pretty pretty cool movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's. Oh well, I I knew it. Was a, I was like, oh, I waited for that girl because my wife wasn't allowed to date until she left high school. So she's like, we can't be official. You have to wait. And I'm like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm waiting. She was, she's been worth it. So that's amazing. So well, and you, how old were you when you started Boost? Uh, 32. 32. What was your philosophy coming home? Like you, were you just like, I just need to get the work. I've got a, I'm responsible. I'm not blaming anyone. Like, is that, was that your attitude? There was when, no one to blame. No, yeah. not at all. It was, there was no, I've never been someone, my life is about me and mm. my life is about <clears throat> me taking on responsibility for my life, and this, this child was my responsibility. Wow. And you know, I wanted a, the I wanted the best life for myself, but I wanted the less best life for him. So it was very much, um, well, I want um, I need to go and work. So you know, I had, and that's when I used to go back to my mum, who was great. Yeah, thank God she's a fifties housewife because she was the best grandmother. Yes, for sure. Thank God for that <laughs> stay at home mum. And yeah, so so she was um, so she was fantastic and, yeah, and really wow. helped me help me even to this day. Um, she still helps me with my kids. Yeah, that's that's amazing because there's because part of my work I meet people that have gone through similar experiences where they've had unexpected events come up, like having a child, and they have a completely different philosophy on life. You know, they're like, "Oh, poor me," or "This sucks. I wish this didn't happen." And like, they live off the welfare of other people's generosity their I whole know. life. And I find that repulsive. What's what's the alternative to playing? The cards you've been dealt with, like the best you oh. can. Yeah, and you, you do. You come across someone who has been given the worst set of cards. You know, whether it's health issues, you know, things that really are outside of this their 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 realm, and yet their attitude is positive. And mm. what can I do? And what can I? What's the best I can see about it? You see other people who really have the ability to do whatever they want in their life, and they just sit and whinge. I think there's two types of people out there. Mm. Um, there are the verbs, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that choose to soar. And the verbs are the ones that is a victim, right? It's, it's n- never their fault. It's always someone else's fault. Um, they're entitled. I'm entitled yep. to be looked after. I'm entitled for that promotion. I'm entitled. Mm-hmm. They need to be rescued. So they, they, um, they can never find it themselves. Someone else has to help them. It's all about someone else helping them. And they blame the world for their woes, right? Mm-hmm. Those people um, don't get anywhere. And t- but everyone can fall into the trap of being a verb, right? We can all sometimes have those mentalities of, mm. you know, it's poor me, right? But it's really when you can change your life and the change what you think to become to, to choose to soar is when your life can change. So if you live in the wallowing of a verb, your life will be miserable. It'll be suffering, right? yeah. 
But if you then, that same person, if that same person starts to, because, you know, you neuroplasticity, right, we can change how we think, we can change what we do. Mm-hmm. If you change and start thinking in the SOAR mentality, which is solutions, right, if I have a problem, what's I'm going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Ownership, it is my fault. It mm-hmm. is my, like, it's my child. It is, I'm responsible. I'm accountable for that child. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do about it? Not who, who's going to around to help me. What mm-hmm. am I going to do? Accountable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm accountable for the good and the bad in my life mm-hmm. and also um, and responsible. So solutions, ownership, accountability, responsibility. Mm-hmm. So if you do that, even if you communicate that way, so you know, you get an email that says, you know, bl- that pisses you off, which we all do, right? Yes, Mainly yes. some, we might have read it wrong or whatever. But if you immediately respond in the verb mentality, then you just get, you just get it back. Yeah. But if you then change the whole language and then do it in the solutions, ownership, accountability, responsibility, then suddenly things change. So if you go, yep, I see your point. Let's talk about solutions. We can't change what's gone wrong. Let's mm. let's be accountable for what the outcome is. Yes. So if you start to change that, suddenly the, everything's diffused and you can move forward. And if you start to move forward with a sore mentality, your life will actually improve and mm-hmm. your life will be great. Yeah. And your brain will be, you're training your brain to, to see that naturally rather than... Correct. And yeah. people can change how they think. You can't just say, I'm, no one can change someone, mm-hmm. right? You can't change someone. Someone has to change themselves. Yes. Yep. And so I would struggle being in your role because I would just be saying, get over it. Yes. And get on with it. It's, it's hard because... Um, well, maybe you're not doing them any favours by saying, poor you. A lot of the techniques that psychologists and therapy uses is trying to get them to a place where they do take responsibility. So there's a thing in therapy called exposure therapy. So I had a, an 18 year old who had a mental breakdown in year 11 and um, was humiliated in, at school and, and all the very bright kid, but he was housebound for 13 months and his parents couldn't get him out of bed and mm. he just refused to move. He was an immovable object. And one of the first things that we did was like your first goal, like there's consequences if you do not get out of bed. We're not going to keep doing this for you, mate. Like, no. So there's there a real consequence if he didn't move. So your first goal, Bart, is to go outside, touch the letterbox and come back because yes. he's petrified of people. Yeah. Then I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm ter- ter- terrified to go to the shops. So like, we're going to go to the car park. Mm. So we're breaking down this yeah. barrier in 10 steps. Yeah, and you survived it. To get the confidence. But Mm. neuroplasticity is that. Mm. So you can actually wire your brain to never move out of your bed or you can wire your brain to life's okay. Yes. So it is, so yeah, so it it is, but the techniques are very good and very valid for those people who genuinely have Mm. mental illness. And I think that there's, it's in some respects, it's nearly insulting for the people who genuinely are suffering for mental illness. Yes. To have a lot of people using mental illnesses, throwing it around. Oh, man, don't get me started, Junie. (laughs) so... I know what you mean. It's like, I'm depressed. It's like, are you clinically depressed? Have you been... Like, it's... Come on, get over it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really insulting for the people who genuinely have a disorder in their body and a chemical imbalance... Yes. ...which needs to be addressed. Yeah. That's different to someone going... It's like someone faking, hey, like, um, I... My knee hurts, so um, I'm not allowed to run. Like um, you treat treat me as if I've got a broken leg when yeah. someone next to me's actually got a broken yeah. leg. It's like or hasn't got a leg. I hasn't even got a leg. Yeah, yeah. like oh, I'm blind. Like it's insulting. Like we're gonna take a short break because when we come back, I'm gonna talk to you about um, business Shark Tank and all yep, that stuff. Great. So good. So stay tuned. 
physical exercise has been proven by scientific research to improve your mental health and manage your mental illness. How do we get motivated? How do we get into a place where we can stick to a routine and not quit? I would only recommend Coaching Zone and Genesis Gyms across Australia. Coaching Zone is a brilliant way to be able to connect with other people, be held accountable so you have the motivation from your peers, you have a dedicated trainer and coach, and there's guaranteed results or your money back. So group personal training, so you have this heart rate technology, so you have live feedback during every workout in the app and all the screens around you. It's an amazing, amazing achievement what they've done here. Um, there's nutrition, so there's access to world-class nutrition in a portal, so you can swap out meals and generate shopping lists for the family or if you're an individual. And there also there's individual coaching, so in and out of sessions, constant contact with your coach and guaranteed results. I really think the group personal training and the combination of individual training and the measurable scientific progress that you can see from each session is really the difference with Coaching Zone and in Genesis Gym. So I want you to look up at Genesis Gym and go to Coaching Zone. So genesisfitness.com.au, find your local gym and join this amazing program which is guaranteed to give you results and hold you accountable and, and get you to where you want to go. Entrepreneur, the word. Now it's all of a sudden really cool. Like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. You see people, probably even in your own business, like, I'm an entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? Like, I think it's cool if it encourages people to be creative and to, to, to try out to start businesses and stuff, but what's your thoughts on the buzzword and the... To be honest, thing? in my opinion of an entrepreneur is, an entre- a true entrepreneur is actually a really crap business person. Mm, okay. And the reason being is that if you say, I'm an entrepreneur, right, and that's okay to be that, and I don't even know if I am one, right? Mm. But... The, the entrepreneur sort of gets excited about the idea. They get excited about the concept. Mm. And they go, I'm going to create a, you know, a timber coaster, right? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and they get so excited about the logo and the pretty stuff and the, and the, the creation of, of their idea and their concept that they, that they don't want to do the things that actually matter in business, which is understanding the numbers and the, the business model and actually the, the, the so-called boring stuff. Mm-hmm. So a true entrepreneur does this. They go, oh, my God, I'm excited about this idea. I'm going to go for it. I'm do- doing the idea. Oh, look, there's another bright light. Oh, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> because in actual fact, it's actually not the... It's like when you climb a mountain, right? The exciting thing is to buy the backpack and get the new shoes and off you go. And then the hard yards is climbing it up. Mm. And the hard yards is when it's a really rainy day and it's slippery and it's not fun anymore, yeah. right? There's no fun in it. Mm-hmm. And then you get a bit higher and the, 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 the rocks become to rubble and suddenly you're really not having fun. Mm. A lot of people don't get to the top because mm. it's just not fun. They just like the idea of it or they like the idea of the, the pretty stuff of the logos. They don't want to do things like the, the boring stuff, which is numbers numbers are far too complicated and yeah. boring you know or set up a proper trademark or you know hire the staff and put the time in or make sure the policies are correct you know can't someone else do that yeah. right and so quite often often most businesses 
don't work because people aren't prepared to do the hard yards and the hard work. Mm. And it's actually the unknown, the non-fun stuff yes. that actually makes a business successful, the not necessarily. non-Instagrammable posts. Correct. It's yes. like people saying, I want to do strategy. I mean, what does strategy mean? <laughs> it's honestly, if you turn around and say, if you turn around and say, I want to do strategy, it's bullshit. Strategy can be done in three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. You know where the strat- well, you know what the strategy is. It's the hard yards. It's a 99.5% which is the grind and the work mm. that actually gets it done. It's staying up till three o'clock in the morning every day mm-hmm. to make sure it's done. It's making sure that you're constantly attacking yourself and looking at your best weapon that you've possibly got, which is your mirror, to actually make sure that you can be the best you possibly can be. Mm. And actually being, um, and you know, going, doing that hard thing of you know, moving people on if they're not working and, you know, Putting, that's all the hard stuff that people don't like to do. Yeah, it's so true. That's, that's my concern about buzzwords and like trends at the moment when people are trying to put tags and labels on themselves. It's like, what kind of identity or significance are you trying to get from that? Mm. Are you actually producing the results? Like when you did Boost, right? When you started Boost when you were 31, um, did you have in mind that you wanted to think, were you thinking globally straight from the start? Mm. As I said to you earlier, um, naivety played a huge part. So mm. if I turned around, because we opened 150 stores in four years. That's huge. <laughs> and if I, if someone came to me right now, knowing what I know, and said to me, Janine, I'd like to open a, a juice bar, and in four years I'd like to be able to open 150 stores. And by the way, I've got no business experience, never done this before, never hired anyone before, and, um, and I don't know the difference between debit and credit. I'd say... Nice idea, four years, you know, try and aim for about maybe five stores, but you've got to get the first one right, maybe work on that for two years, da, da, da. So no one ever told me that. So mm. because no one told me that, I just did it. Yeah, wow. So I just, every single day I worked out a way of doing it. So I, you know, we had rules, like um, I had to open an enormous amount of stores and I told people we can't count because if we can't count how many stores we've got to open, it would be too overwhelming and we wouldn't do it. So what do we have to do today to make sure those stores open on time? Mm-hmm. So in actual fact, my life went really quickly because I was always working six months in advance to make sure that the, the stores that was opening in December, and we're talking in June, mm. were on time. And well, I had to do things today in June to make sure December stores open. So it was that constant, you know, I was constantly creating systems, processes, balancing policies, you know, and I'd never done that before. Mm. But I got it wrong. How do I make sure I don't get it wrong again? Did you love it? Did you find it? Oh, wow. Loved it. Loved Mm. it. Hated it. Scary. Exciting. It was every emotion you possibly can, you know, Mm -hmm. throw in. It was days that I didn't want to play. Yes. I was a mother of three kids at the same time. (laughs) You know, my my youngest one was seven months old, right? So he was still breastfeeding, you know. So that's when I started Boost. So I was running that. I was running my life. I didn't have time for networking. I didn't know. I didn't know if the business was going well or not because I had nothing to compare it to. Mm. I just was on this, you know, really cool journey called Boost. Yeah. Wow. And I think you're pretty relational, right? So like with businesses, did you reach out to certain businesses and sit down with them and ask, hey, how do you do this? Or Yeah, there was a couple of times. I never really networked as such. I never had any groups or because I was far too busy. But I would call, um, so there was a guy called James Fitzgerald who ran Muffin Break, which was Muffin Break was really big back then. Yeah, I remember that. And so I had a coffee with him and said, look, 
what are your thoughts? And so, you know, so, so I basically bought people coffee, Mm -hmm. you know, a girl called, um, Leslie Gillespie from Baker's Delight, you know, she came in and, um, I bought her a coffee and we were catching up and she was very helpful in the early days. And I was, what I was trying to do is learn from other people's mistakes. You know, what can I know? So that, so, you know, people I really respected who'd been on the journey before, Mm -hmm. you know, really took that advice. And then I think when we had about 15 stores, um, you know, a guy called Jeff Harris came into the business who had co-founded Flight Centre. Lovely, lovely man who came in and, and, you know, he very much helped guide me on the, on the journey. Mm. If, we, if I could bring the 31-year-old Janine here and you're here with your knowledge for all the years you've done, what kind of things would you tell her? I would tell her, go for it. And I wouldn't tell her anything. And the reason being I wouldn't tell her anything is because she's got to work it out herself. Mm-hmm. She's got to make the mistakes. You know, there is no question. I'd say, you know, mate, go for it and, um, and uh, make sure you look after yourself. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. But I certainly wouldn't tell her you know, what was ahead. Because, yeah, well. because Janine would freak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, she yeah. would go, nah, that's just too hard. Um, I think that the key thing is that, you know, people often ask me the question of what went wrong and what would you change? Mm. And the answer to that question is that lots went wrong, but nothing I would change. Yeah. Because in actual fact, you have to actually embrace it mistakes and brace the journey to actually be who you are and yes. I like who I am yes. you know, and I like where the business is that's but awesome. it was, it's all the things that went wrong that made the business where it is today yes that's all, so good on Shark Tank right it's, it's, it seems like a fun show to be on because you, you come across so many different businesses what what are the common mistakes that people bring to Shark Tank and with wanting seeking investment because one of the things I personally saw was people tend to over evaluate their business yeah. um, value and worth. I, I saw that particularly last season a lot. Mm. It's like, well, how did you get that number mm. from six months of running? Yeah. So what's your thoughts? I think what people got to understand is that, you know, if, if you're asking for money from anyone, it's, it's people overcomplicate business. It's actually mm. not simple. It's not, sorry, it's not simple. It's, it's not complicated. Mm. So if you can, with numbers, right? So people often push numbers aside and I'll get to your question in a minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that if you can add minus divide and multiply, you can do numbers, mm-hmm. right? It's just no, it's not that hard. And your business is quite simple. You need to make more income than you do expenses. Mm. There is no more, it's not more complicated than that. And you've got to make, have less expenses than, than business. You've got to grow every year. So going back to the valuation is you've got to also understand that if someone gives you $100, that's 100 of real cash. That's not just fantasy fairy money, right? Mm. And so they want a return. Yes. So they want to return not in 100 years when they're you know, too old to enjoy it. They want to return in a period of time which is re- reasonable. Mm. So when you value your business, you have to actually go, if I'm asking for $100 from someone, when can I return that $100 to them plus the, the multiple on that money? So how do I return $300 back to that person? Mm. So then if you've been going six months and you say to that person that I want my business to be valued at a million dollars, so you need to give me you know, $200,000 for your 20%, mm-hmm. then, that's, then you're, not asking, you're not asking yourself the right question is how are they going to get that money back? Yes. Because that is all that matters. Mm-hmm. So when you value your business, you really have to look at that. Yeah. And do you think, just generally speak with the businesses you see from that show, how are good are people with their numbers? Are they actually keeping track of their records? No, ge- generally people go, I go back to that entrepreneur question and people mm. go, I love the, they love the, they'll spend 
five hours on the color of a logo yeah. and they'll spend five minutes on the structure of their business, mm. right? So, or that, you know, so people love, people lean towards what they love. Mm. But what I'm telling, should tell people is learn to love your numbers because your numbers are your story. Mm-hmm. Your numbers is where, you're, you know, the, the logo won't get you there and the numbers will. Yeah. And so really get to love the minutiae. Mm. of your business is there any resources or uh, books that you could recommend people to read to learn to structure the business better or to- yeah look there's some great books out there you know there's you know Vern's book of scaling up mm-hmm. not only he he's got a book but he's also got some tools on his website which you can go to great there's the accidental entrepreneur which is my book yes all is plug um you know there's some great blogs out um and podcasts out there now that there never used to be so you know you're in a car you can actually sit and listen to you know rock sport and comedy on triple m or you know get a blog yes or get a podcast that you can actually listen to in the car so you can always have that curious mind of what can i learn and who can i learn off Mm, that's awesome um and last question janine um where are you going now with with boost and with Zoo retail. You've got so many businesses that you got your fingers in. Where would you like? Where do you have a clear idea, or you got an idea? Of, you're going to keep expanding with what you're doing. Look, you're- you know, I'm I'm trying to work out what I want to be when I grow up. You know, oh well, I don't quite know yet. Um, <laughs> the you know, so boosters, you know, boosters always in my blood, and my boost will be part of me forever. Mm. Um, but you know, what else? I've got you know other businesses I brought on Shark Tank and outside of Shark Tank that I, I work with. Um, you know, just trying to just be the best person I can be. So, mm. yeah, just trying to work out what I want to be. That's awesome. Not, not sure yet. I like that. That's awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Jenny. My pleasure. I can't thank you enough for listening to the Examine Life podcast. It's been an amazing journey so far, and I can't wait to be able to share with you some amazing things coming up next year in 2019. I'm going to have some downtime with my family and a well-earned, deserved break. The best way you can support this podcast is to go to Patreon. Patreon is a platform to which lots of content creators and artists and show makers are going on now because it's the new economy. As little as $4, $2 a month, you can provide the support to the content makers of your choice so they can continue making great work and having honest, genuine discussions like myself with these guests. I'd really love to encourage you to consider jumping on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Matt Purcell. A big shout out to one of the major sponsors on this program for the last six episodes is Fast Fuel Australia. Fast Fuel Australia is definitely my favorite form of meals on the go and it's Basically, it's professionally cooked, it's chef-prepared meals delivered to your door, your business. This cafe is going to be around Australia very soon. Basically, the quality of this food is chef quality. And the prices of the food is as little as $9.95 to $8.95 sometimes. And with everyone being so busy these days, um, being unhealthy is very common and being healthy is a big challenge because of time restraints. And this has really helped me keep on top of my my health because when I'm traveling, the temptation is to get takeaway all the time and bad takeaway when I say that. So fast fuel is my preference and my choice and my recommendation for you. So if you type in a coupon code that I've, I've, I've made up, if you, if you put in at the end of the checkout, Matty P20, Matty P-double-T-Y 20, you'll get 20% off for all your purchases. So jump on and give it a go because these guys are in the business 
to change lives and to keep people healthy and fit and to live longer, to enjoy their dreams. But until next year in 2019, I wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year and safety to you and your family. God bless you guys and have a Merry Christmas.